0: Many of you know um, that I was uh, on sabbatical for three months this summer. And it was on sabbatical that as I read the Bible, I realized that there's this important theme in the Bible that comes up again and again and again and again. And it's this theme of rest. Rest. Will you say that with me? Rest. One more time. Ready? Rest. So it's like majority of you are like, what is that? I came across this psalm during my sabbatical, and it just really ministered to me. Psalm 3, verse 1. It's a psalm of David. Those of you who have, like, NIV study Bibles. And the the heading is, this is a psalm that David prayed before he was to go into battle with his son Absalom and his army. The son that he loved. Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Verse 3, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Verse 4, to the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. And look at verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Can I just read that together? I lie down and sleep together. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And verse 6 is what blew me away. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. This is a man who is about to go into battle where he is surrounded and outnumbered tens of thousands against his son that he loves he is about to go into battle and yet he sleeps he ah oh, rest a lot of us have trouble sleeping a lot of us have trouble resting Chicago can be a restless place, yes? Yes? There's a relentlessness about it. There's a hectic, frenetic pace about it. There's an intensity about it. There is a competitiveness about it. There's a violence about it. There's an intensity to living in this city, but none of us will wake up tomorrow morning, go outside and have tens of thousands of guns pointed at us. And yet David does. And he. How are you doing? How am I doing? The good question the Bible asks, and it's a theme found over and over again Old and New Testament. David says, I lay down and I slept. And the Bible brings the subject up again and again. And the great question, perhaps the great question in life that the Bible is asking is this. Do you know how to lie down and sleep? Anybody could lie down. But do you know how to sleep? Rest. Uh, I, I'd like to propose to you this morning that this is the real way, I think, to tell sometimes the validity of our faith. It's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. But when you're in a situation of worry, anxiety, when you're in a situation of stress, when you're in a situation of danger, when you're in a situation in which prayers are not being answered, when you're in a situation where you're just stressed out, the question is, how real is your faith? How genuine is your faith? Can you, the question is, lie down and sleep? Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? (laughs) By the way, if you are one of those people that are like, yeah, Peter, that's me, man. I mean, I have no problems. Not just no matter how. It's just, I, I rest. This isn't just a of our faith, but I like to propose that I think it's the thing that the world wants the most. You might not even be a Christian here, but here's my question to you. Can you sleep and rest? The Bible talks about this rest called the Sabbath rest. What is Sabbath rest? It's the REM, rapid eye movement of the soul. Scientists will tell you. That it's not the length of sleep, but it's what? It's the depth of it. It's the depth of sleep. It's not how long you're sleeping, but whether you get into these deep periods of sleep. That's what restores. Now, I know, in a typical room like this, we, we try to deal with this restlessness and tension in a number of ways. Some of us, you go, <laughs> take deep breath. Some of us go for a jog. Some of us, relaxation techniques. Some of us think positive thoughts. Some of us try and distract ourselves or say to yourself, stop worrying, stop worrying. Get rest, get rest. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Some of us just medicate ourselves. Some of us just shut down emotionally. Others of us deal with it by nursing a fantasy. Again, you don't even need to be a Christian, and yet you know. You don't know the deep REM sleep of the soul. It doesn't matter how many vacation days. you Come on, I'm talking to you. It doesn't matter how many vacation days you take. If you don't deal with this thing that we're going to talk about today, it doesn't matter how many days you take. You will constantly be, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. Um, In case you're tracking with me. And you've been here and you're paying attention, you're going, he's going through the Ten Commandments. And are we supposed to be in the third commandment? Why is he talking about rest and sleep? I actually, stu- I actually prepared for today. What, what's, well, we are going to talk about the fourth commandment, not the third. I'll tell you exactly why. In Mexico, it's one, I'm preaching to myself like I do every Sunday. And this commandment to me, this commandment to me, I'm just warning you right now, I'm going to do a lot of shouting. Because when I preach to myself, when I preach to myself, I shout, you know, I shout. Do you know that I'm deaf in one ear, so I shout. Um, the reason why this is so important, let me just say, we don't think it's a command. We think it's a suggestion. Take Sabbath rest and do not work. We think, oh, that's a nice suggestion. That's quaint. How nice. We don't think it's a command. The Bible says it's a command. I got to put into context real quick before we move on, otherwise, you're going to miss the entire point. There are two things that we learn about what the Ten Commandments are. Do you remember? One, they're not rules that God gives to earn His approval, earn His acceptance, earn His love, earn His grace. They're not given to us so that by obeying them, we could somehow get in on a relationship with God. This is the sermon point that we've been talking about. God's laws and His rules, His Ten Commandments, are not given to us as a condition for a relationship with God, but a confirmation. Beginning of this, God says, I am the Lord, your God. I have entered into a covenant relationship with you. That relationship is already set. So what I'm about to give you does not determine whether we are in a relationship. God says the relationship is already set. First thing. second thing, the Ten Commandments are given for freedom and not for bondage. We think that the commandments and rules of the Bible is to restrict, it's to enslave. I couldn't be more opposite. The Bible says that the Ten Commandments are given because freedom comes as a result of honoring your design. We read the Ten Commandments, this is what you need to do, but God is actually saying this is who you, what, are the one who created us, the one who designed this whole thing, the one who knows us intimately says through the commandments, this is the way to life. This is the way to flourishing. This is the reason why we don't so much break the Ten Commandments as we break ourselves when we violate them. When we violate the commandments, in the short one, you may hurt yourself and you may hurt God, but in the long run, you hurt yourself the most. And I cannot, I cannot think of a commandment that we ignore, we push aside, we make light of, that is more critical to us understanding how we are designed, how we are made, how God says this is what you need to do, not to restrict, not to enslave, but to free you and to give you life and flourishing. I cannot stress enough that you must, I must, take what God says when he says, rest seriously. This is, this is about us recognizing that when we move against the law of God, you move against yourself when you trample on the law of God when you trample on commandments like rest you're trampling on yourself exodus 20 verse 8 is where we find the fourth commandment we'll come back to the third commandment next week it says remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy Six days you shall rest and do uh, labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male nor female servants, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The writer of Exodus, Moses is referring to the creation account which we turn to. Genesis 2, 1 is where we find the creation account. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. What does it mean that God rested? Does it mean that God was inactive? No. John chapter 5, Jesus says, referring to himself and the Father, my Father is always at work and I too am at work work to rest doesn't mean to be inactive can i say this real quick everybody look up here you can be wary even when you're inactive and you can be rested even though you're very active you can be wary even though you're not doing a whole lot and you can be deeply at rest even though you're exerting yourself To be at rest has little to do with being active or inactive. What does it mean that God rested? Does it mean that God got tired and he just needed a nap? I'm not even going to go into that because if God does, then he's not God. He's not worthy of worship, so let's move on. If God can't be tired, what does it mean that he rested from his work? We define getting rest as getting over being tired. So what does it mean that God rested if God isn't about getting over, being tired. In Genesis account, God creates something and he says, oh, that's good. God creates something and he says, oh, that's good. God creates something and he says, oh, that's good. And at the very end, when he gets to the very end, he looks at all that he's created. Do you remember what he says? He says he's very good. And the Bible says he rested. Do you know what it means to be at rest? To be at rest, everybody look up here, please, is to be utterly satisfied with what's been done. To be at rest is to, I'm looking at you, I okay, <laughs> I already said I'm preaching to myself this morning, I let, you know, to be at rest is to be utterly satisfied with what's been done. To be at rest is to look at your work and say, there is nothing more that needs to be done and I am totally and utterly satisfied. This is the reason why we are not at rest because you are never utterly satisfied with what's been done. You can never, me, you, me, can never look at our work, and I don't care if you are a stay-at-home mom. All of our work, we can never look at our work. It doesn't matter if you're unemployed, you don't have a job. We can never look at our work and be completely and totally and utterly satisfied in such a way. We go, there's no more work to be done. I am so satisfied. I'm going to stop. We don't know what that's like. That's why we. We're never satisfied with what. Why are you looking at me like I'm speaking a foreign? Do you know what I'm talking about? Say Amen if you do. Okay. Question: Why are we never satisfied? The author of Hebrews picks up this theme of Sabbath again in Hebrews chapter 4. Check this out, verse 9. There remains and a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. Just as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. The key word in this passage is that word work. When it talks about resting from your work, the Hebrew writer, writer of Hebrews, is once again bringing us into the courtroom. He's bringing us once again, Janice, into the legal arena again. When the Bible talks on New Testament works, it often refers to the works of the law. What is the works of the law? Here's what works of the law is. Works of the law is your effort, my effort, are striving to earn and get a favorable, here's the word, verdict. Everybody say verdict. Favorable verdict. First and foremost from God, a favorable verdict, and then also from others. When the author of Hebrews talks about this works, he's talking about the striving, the effort, the leaning in, the trying, court of law, to get a favorable verdict. First from God, then from others. You know what he's saying? Do you know why we get rest? Because it's not just work. There's work underneath the work. There's work up here. It's what you do, external, physical. But there's this internal work. You know what that work is? That we can't turn off? It's trying to earn a verdict. It's the, through this, I'm somebody. Is to do this, I'm significant. Is to do this, my life matters. The work up here is what you do. Mom, engineer, doctor, teacher, lawyer, husband, wife. The work underneath the work, works of the law, trying, striving, effort for what? A verdict, a verdict, a verdict that I matter, a verdict that my life matters, a verdict that what I'm doing matters, a verdict, a desperate verdict for somebody to say, yeah, you're somebody, yep, yep, you're good, yep, yep, your life matters, yep, yep. That work underneath the work is what gives you the weariness. That work of trying to earn a favorable verdict. That work of trying to prove yourself through your work. Dan Rodakovich, can I ask you a question? Does that work ever end? Dan, how many years, 40 years, does it ever end? <laughs> Dan is one of my closest friends. He's a successful attorney, practicing law. That work underneath the work never. If you don't deal with that work underneath the work, you'll never be able to say what God said. You'll never be able to look at all that you've done and say it's finished. I'm good. That's why the author of Hebrews says it's through Jesus and only through Jesus you can ever get this rest. Jesus, come to me, all oh, you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Right? Do you know what Jesus is saying? Dan, you spoke some truth. Jesus is saying, everybody, one of us. We talked about that. You're serving something. You're living for something. You're desperately trying to get a verdict from something or somebody. And it's really God. It's other people. It's our jobs. It's our relationships. And that work of trying to get that verdict, that validation, trying to get meaning of your life. Through those verdicts never ends. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Only through me will you be able to look at yourself, your work, and say, it's finished, it's good. Sabbath is given to save us from ourselves. And point us to the only and true source of rest. I've read this quote before. She's an American singer, songwriter, actress, and entrepreneur, estimated worth of $650 million. She sold more than 300 million records worldwide and is recognized as the world's top-selling female recording artist of all time by the Guinness Book of World Records. Her records have made over a billion dollars in the course of a 30-year career. She is... <laughs> I listened to Madonna when I was in high school. Confession. That's how long she's been around, Okay. In case you're wondering, how old is that dude? I'm old. <laughs> you know what she said in an interview? I'm going to put it up. Because you need to read these words and sear them into your heart. I have an iron will. And all of my life has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with fear. I pushed that one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being of worth, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting and worthless, and I have to find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being inadequate and mediocre, and it's always pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. This is why some of you work 70, 80 hours a week. This is why people ruin their marriages and their families to, to make money and move up the corporate ladder. And listen, this isn't just about lavish lifestyle. Can I just be honest here? Do you know, do you know who some of the worst people are in this? It's people who work for nonprofit organizations. Can I get an amen? I, 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 listen, listen, do you know why? I'm just as guilty. Do you know why? Because this is really convoluted. It's really convoluted, sick, toxic, like belief system. I'm not saying all of you that work in nonprofit are. There's some of you that are amazingly healthy. You rest. You go, I have no problem sleeping, dude. I don't know who you're preaching to, but you're not preaching to me. If that's you, nod and just smile, okay? But for the rest of us, for the rest of us who are in this line of work, it's this really convoluted, toxic belief that says, because I'm helping people, I'm somebody. But it's like I'm helping myself. By helping people. But it's like I'm loving myself by loving other people. This isn't just about a lavish lifestyle and those attorneys and lawyers and lavish life. This is about all of us. Some of you teachers? Why do you teach? Why do you teach where you teach? Some of you that work as social workers? Why are you a social worker? Why do you do what you do? Moms out there, moms, why do you want to be a good mom? Are you trying to get sense of meaning, significance, identity? Not from God. Not from being a child of God, but what are you doing? Are you burned out? Are you tired? Peter, <laughs> are you dealing with the work underneath the work, Peter? Do You know what it means to be a Christian? To become a Christian, listen very carefully. Here's the gospel. It's to become someone who's able to look at your work the way God looked at his, look at your life the way God looked at his life. Do you know how? In Genesis 2, God cried out with joy, it's finished, the work is done. And the same person, centuries later, cried out again on the cross, it is finished, the work is done. First time God said, it is finished, the work is done, he had done the act of creation. Second time he said, it is finished, the work is done, he had done the act of salvation. And please, salvation is not about heaven and hell. You and I are trying to find salvation in a thousand things smaller than Jesus. We are trying to find salvation in a thousand things smaller than Jesus. How big is your God? Unless you know the gospel, you will never be able to get your work and say, It's finished. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? It's not to say, I'm going to try to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to say, I am saved not by my works, but his works. I am accepted not because of me, but his works. I am in, not because of I'm a good person or what I've done, but because of his works. And then when you do that, the Bible says, the moment you do that, God imputes your sin to Jesus and he imputes his righteousness to you, which means right now if you're a Christian, God looks at you and says, it's good. Nothing else needs to be done. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? It's to say it's good, it's finished. Because the only eyes that matter when they look at me Looks at me and says, It's good. Some of you are getting emotional. You know what it means to be a Christian? It's we say the only verdict I need has already been given. And he looks at me and says, CC, it's good. Is that good news? But until and unless you realize that, take that into your heart, the only verdict that matters has already been given. The only validation that needs to be given has been given. Only identity significance has been given. That's why, even if you're unemployed, you are not at rest. Why? What's the work underneath the work? Hmm? What's the work underneath the work, church? My brothers, my sisters. If you're creating meaning out of your work, what you do, it's never about the work. It's about you. It's about you. And we have already covered this the last three, four weeks. There is no life when life is centered around you and me. We were not designed to be at the center. Okay, I got to get real practical, okay? Here we go. I'm going to talk about for the next 10-15 minutes what I will call inner disciplines and outer disciplines. Inner disciplines or external disciplines. As you begin to think about, Peter, what do you, how, do you, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I, 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 will you extend grace to me this morning? Because I do not come to you as someone who says, I've got this figured out. I come to you as someone who struggles with this mightily. Okay? Did you hear me? So when I'm yelling, I'm yelling at myself. Inner disciplines. Here it is, the principle. Keeping the Sabbath is both a day and an attitude. It's both a day and an attitude. Before we can keep the Sabbath day, we need to cultivate a Sabbath heart. What do I mean? Two things. First, recognize that Sabbath is an act of liberation. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15. God says, remember that you are slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out. Thank you, Lord, for water. Brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, um, the Lord has suggested you, commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What God is saying in Deuteronomy is they're told to remember the life in Egypt. God's saying, hey, 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 do you remember when you were in Egypt? Like you couldn't take a day off, even if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. God's saying, hey, hey, do you remember when you were in Egypt? How you just wanted to sit and sometimes just take a break in the unbearable sun? I only to have a taskmaster, a taskmaster whipping you to get to work. God saying, When you refuse to take a Sabbath, you are spurning the gift of freedom. You're choosing to go back to Egypt. Remember what I said before? It's one thing to get out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. I'm not a slave, really. Why can't you say no? I'm not a slave, really. Why are you so busy? David Goodwin, are you hearing me? I'm not a slave, really. Why are you so overcommitted? I'm not a sl- Well, yeah, of course. It's self-imposed. <laughs> Nobody's saying do it. It's self-imposed. We are being enslaved to our own insecurities, to our family's expectations. Okay, so this is going go You don't know anything about family expectations. I'm Asian. Really. Well, you don't know what it's like. I'm a social worker. I'm into helping people. Really. It's self-imposed. Our own insecurities, our culture's expectations, our family's hopes your company, but you and I are slaves. It's not just about income. That's easy to spot. There's some of you from God would say, why are you living as a slave to our culture's expectations? Why are you living as a slave to your parents and family expectations? Why are you living as a slave to your company's demands? Why are you living as a slave to your own insecurities? Why? It's self-imposed. But nonetheless, we're enslaved to these taskmasters. Taskmasters are the main obstacles to keeping the Sabbath. You know their voice. Taskmasters. They come to me and they go, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want to what? You, you want to sit down? How quaint. How nice. Who has time for that? Oh, you want to rest, sit down? Wait, wait, wait. If you do, this whole thing will fall apart. Oh, you want to sit down and what? You want to rest? Who? What? Who, who rests? You're going to fall behind in your career. Oh, wait, you want to sit down and what? Rest? What? Rest? Who does that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a loser thing to do. Who, who, you want to what? Sit down and... R- voices, 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 taskmasters. And the only way to deal with the taskmasters in our lives, you have to say deep in your heart, this is an act of liberation. You and I have to preach the gospel into our lives daily. It's saying, will you repeat after me? Even if you don't mean it, so that I feel better, okay? Ready? My work does not define me. My work does not define me. My parents do not define me. My friends' expectations do not define me. Money does not define me. Christ defines me. Christ defines me. Christ defines me. You have to preach the gospel. It's the only way, only way that you can. Confront head on the lie that the taskmaster wants you to believe. And Dan once, Radakovich. he just dropped his wisdom on me. I don't know if you remember, man, but it was just so powerful. The lie is that you cannot rest, Peter, until your work is all done. Or you cannot rest, Peter, until your work is done better than you're currently doing it. That's a lie. Because our work is never done. And we will never do our work better. Why? When you get there, it's what? You could do better. When you get there, it's what? I can do better. But the second thing, and I've been waiting all week to share this with you. The second reason why God says you need a Sabbath as a act of liberation is not just for you and me. It's for others. It's for others. What do I mean? And I don't know if you're tracking with me. Some of you are like, uh-huh. For 400 years, the Israelites weren't treated as persons made in the image of God, but slaves. They were work units. They were equipment. They were merely hands and feet and backs. And they weren't treated as persons created in the image of God. They were just treated as equipment and work units. Humanity was defaced. And God says to realize, rest, do you know why? On the surface, it just seems like, hey, Dan, you need to rest. Do you know why? Because if you don't, you're gonna be a jerk and your wife is gonna be unhappy. That's how I think. But God's saying you need to rest, do you know why? Because if you do not get rest, you will then turn around and begin to see and treat other people, not as persons made in the image of God, but as things. Mm -hmm. Grace, are you resonating with this? I know it's so hard. She's like the most honest. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, girl. God says, rest. You need to listen to this because if you don't, you will treat other people for what they do rather than who they are. When this came to me, I wept. I wept because my refusal to Sabbath, my refusal to rest, manifests itself when I look at people that love this church and serve them, I don't treat them for who they are. I treat them for what they do. And I deface the image of God in people. (laughs) And it violates community. I've been waiting all week to say this. If there's anybody in this church that's been hurt, I mean because as your pastor I didn't treat you first and foremost as someone who's made in the image of God for who you are just for what you do I'm sorry forgive me I'm sorry God says you need to rest why? it's not just about you It's the people around you. If you do not rest, you will not treat people as people made in the image of God and who they are. You will treat them as work units and what they can do for you, what you need them to do. And teachers, you could do that with your students. You're doing that with your students. Parents, you could do that with your children this is the reason why you can't say I don't need Sabbath I'm good it's not just about you our lives are so interconnected that what you do impacts those around you and you will deface humanity and violate community does this make sense Secondly, interdiscipline, recognize the Sabbath as an act of trust. In creation account, we repeatedly come upon this refrain, and I love this. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And there was evening, and there was morning, on and on six times. This is the Hebrew way of understanding a day. Follow me. That's not how we understand day. Here's how we understand day. Do you know how I woke up this morning at 6.30? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I reached that. <laughs> Turn off the alarm. This is my alarm. Turn off the alarm. I'm just messing with you. That's not my alarm. But I do have an alarm. Point. Uh, my alarm goes off. This is how I wake, I wake up. I sh- turn the stupid alarm off. I, by the way, if you're in the habit of turning over, because most of us use phones for alarm, and the first thing you do is fa- Facebook or news, which, by the way, I'm very tempted to do. <laughs> Try and discipline yourself. First thing to do, and literally, first thing as you open your eyes, spend a moment with God's word. So 90% of us who use our phone as alarm and the first thing we do is Facebook or news, make it a habit. There's lots of Bible apps. First thing you do before you do anything else, God's word. Our day begins with some stupid alarm clock piercing the darkness. And we go about th- throughout the day. And at the very end, our day doesn't end when the sun goes down. Our day ends when we turn off the electric lights. That's not how the Hebrews understood a day. You know what a Hebrew understanding of day is? The Hebrew understanding of day is what we see in Genesis refrain. Evening, listen, morning, one day. Evening, there was morning, one day. The day is basic unit of God's creative work. But here's the question, church. When does a day begin, the Hebrew understanding? And there was evening. the Hebrews, the day begins in the evening. And it concludes, why is it important? Here's an encouragement. When we go to sleep, God begins his work. When we go to sleep, evening, morning, God Begins his work. Do you know what that means? When I'm sleeping, nothing important stops. When I'm sleeping, Dan, are you hearing this? When I'm sleeping, God is beginning his workday of creating, of sustaining, of doing marvelous things. Is this good news? This is so foreign to us. Some of you need to hear it like ten times. When we go to sleep, evening. God begins his creative work unit day. That means when I prepare for sleep, I don't go to sleep with the feeling of exhausted frustration like I normally do because there's so much unfinished business, but I go to sleep with expectancy. Why? When I go to sleep, God says, time to get to work. Do you know what I think sleep is? Sleep is God's way of getting us out of the way for a while so he could do his thing. Sven, is that good news? Do you know what I think sleep is? Sleep is God going, that was a hot mess that you did today. <laughs> is that good? Talk about it. Is that good news? It's amazing news for someone who's a driven workaholic like me who cannot go to sleep because I'm going, if I go to sleep, who's doing it? If I, God says, when you go to sleep, Peter, I begin my work. This is the only way to get you out of the way for a while and for me to fix the hot mess that you made. Go to sleep. And I'm going to create something beautiful. Good Lord. It's so powerful to me, you guys. That means when I go to sleep, God is already at work to do the things that he wants me to enjoy, share, and develop. The work that he initiated, by the way. And when you realize this, understand that our work settles into the context of God's work which is when I wake up in the morning, I don't go, what's my agenda? My question is, God, what are you up to today? Who did you prepare for me to talk to? Who did you prepare for me to meet? What did you prepare for me to do today while I was asleep that I could join you and participate? Encouragement, challenge, easy. It deals a deadly blow to my hallucination that I'm God and that the world can't function without me. Can I get an amen? It challenges This toxic hallucination that all depends on me. Are you and me stuck in the illusion that if you stop working, you stop caring, if you stop serving, if you stop giving, that things will fall apart? How small is your God? Do you really think God is asleep at the wheel? Do you really think that God doesn't know your future? Do you really think that if you stop running and rested, the things you work so hard for will crumble? Do you and I really believe that it's us that holds all things together? Sleep, along with the necessity, the Bible says, is an act of faith. When we sleep, we direct nothing, we master nothing, we accomplish nothing. Sleep is relinquishment. Sleep is self-abandonment of control, of power, of identity. When we sleep, we're literally putting ourselves in a position of trust, of vulnerability, of dependency. We need to sleep because God says, I need to remind you that you're not God. I need to remind you you're not the one that keeps the world running. You're you're, You're not the one who brings money to your family. You're not the one who's meeting your needs. You're not in charge of the future. Is this good news? You're not the one caring for your family. It all depends on me. God says, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. It's not only an act of liberation. It's a discipline of trust. Sabbath is we imitate God so that we stop trying to be God. Deep rest like sleep. It's trust that God is good and that God is sovereign. See, it's simple for me. It's simple for me. If God works together for the good of those who love him and are called to his purpose, you can relax. If he doesn't, start worrying. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wreckage, anything, and choreograph beautiful and meaningful things from it, then you can take the day to rest. If he can't do that, then you better get busy. Either God is always at work in the world, or you better try harder. Either God is good and in control, or it all depends on you, one or the other. If you're sitting there going, Peter, how do I know I'm trusting? One word. One word. Thankfulness. Lack of gratitude is an eye disease as much as it's a heart disease. The characteristic trait that I see in people that trust is gratitude. It's gratitude. Byron, isn't that you? And the more grateful you are, it's amazing. You have clear sight, like you're able to look and go, God's there, God's there, God's there, God's there. Which makes you more grateful. God, Lack of gratitude. Not just a heart disease, it's an eye disease, it's a failure to see. God is sovereign, God is in control. External disciplines, I'm almost done here. One, real quick, take more Sabbath time. That's easy, okay, let's go on. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Somebody says, how much time do you know Peter needs to take? I'll say more than you're taking right now. If you're someone sitting there going, Peter, the thought of taking the whole day off, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay, I hear you, you can't. Okay, so then do try take more time. If you're somebody who's never done this discipline of taking a day off to Sabbath, then try a few hours. Try a few hours. If you're somebody who's doing a few hours, try half a day. For me, my Sabbath routine as a pastor, and this might not apply to everybody, I try and take a few hours on Monday, weekly. Then once a month, I try to take an entire day off. And once a year, two to three days. I'm trying to establish this rhythm. A few hours, once a week on Monday. One full day once a month. And then two, three days away. Take more time. Then you're taking out Two, balance your Sabbath time. What do I mean? To so taking notes, do something avocational, something contemplative, something inactive. Avocation is an activity you engage in as a hobby outside of your main job. The whole point is to do something that you don't already do for work. Go fishing if you're an investment banker. In all seriousness, try and do something where you could enjoy God's finished creation. Where you can just go out and go, I don't need to do anything. Avocation. Third, contemplative. Monday is not my day off. I, I, I know you think it's not my day. You know why? Because I start with worship. Sabbath is not just, oh yeah, Sabbath is a day to remember who God is and remember who He is in your life. This is the reason why Sundays are so important. Can I just say this? It's not legalistic like I need you need one day where you could be reminded set aside to remember who God is and who you are. In the company of God's people, incorporate reminders, whether it be through scripture prayer, a time in which you can remember who God is, remember who you are, and then third, inactive. What do I mean? In the Old Testament, not only the people, but the land got a Sabbath every day, every, every so often. The land rested and it just let anything come up. What's the principle? You cannot get rest until you have some structured, planned time to do nothing. You need structure, plan time to just be. And this will be impossibly hard. Do you know why? Because when you sit there, you're going to hear this voice. You are worthless if you're not being productive. Who do you think you are? You are of no value to this society unless you're productive. Who do you think you are? That voice will war against your soul. You need to be able to go, I'm just going to be. Don't let thoughts come. I'm just going to be. I'm not going to do just just be. When I went to my sabbatical, it took you like two weeks before I finally got to a point where I'm like, <sighs> okay. Because for two weeks, it was like, I got I to gotta do, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. I can't just be. I can't just be. Why? Inside, I'm hearing that voice that says, you're worthless if you're not doing something. what, 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 what? Taskmaster. Secondly, uh, I'm sorry, three, uh, be accountable for your Sabbath time. It's impossible not to avoid seasons in which you may need to overwork. Doctors, you're sitting there going, you have no idea. Doctors, doctors, during residency, you will overwork. If you're starting a business, you will overwork at first. But you need to be accountable. Meaning, you need to have somebody who you will say, when this period is done, stop me. Stop me. Third, you need community. A Fourth, you need community. The only way you're going to be able to think these things out, get some people who are in a similar situation as you, and brainstorm. How can we keep ourselves from being overwhelmed by work? How can we put work in its proper place? How can we really live this out in your small groups, in your friendships? Find community of people that will continue to push and challenge you. And lastly, I'm done with this. Grace, you can come on up, please. Inject Sabbath time into your work. What do I mean? In the Old Testament, there was a principle called gleaning. And gleaning meant you couldn't reap all the way out to the corners of your field. God instills gleaning as a designed limit on productivity so that you will not overwork. This is going to be the hardest thing some of you will hear. And what else is new? Let me put this and then we're done. It's not enough for you to work like a demon and take a day off. For some of us, you know what this will mean? This will mean making the hard decision to go because I will not make my career my God, I might fall behind in my career. This means because I will not be addicted to finding worth and salvation in this, I may not move up the corporate ladder as quickly. This may mean, Peter that you won't be a successful pastor in the crazy, toxic way that the world defines success. and You'll begin to treat people as persons made in the image of God, not as things. This is going to be the hardest thing for some of you in your 20s to hear. But here's the question. That guy or that woman that's going to be ahead of you, you know where they're headed. At least you'll be sane and maybe healthy, maybe whole. The voice that I heard throughout my sabbatical was this. Peter, the most important gift you can give to your church, is not your gifts. It's not the most important gift you can give to your church is the person you become. Because that's the only thing, as Dallas Willard said, you will take into eternity. It's the person you become become. Pay attention to what matters. Pay attention. The world won't do it for you. Pay attention. My beloved brother, sister, child of God, how seriously, how seriously are you taking this commandment and living it out in your life today? Are you willing to be brutally honest about the work underneath the work? Are you willing to be brutally and rigorously honest about the work underneath the work? Mm. Monday is coming in a few hours. You could approach the week Trusting that God is sovereign, God is in control, that God is good. And set aside time to Sabbath and rest or you could attack this week like everyone else around you as if everything depended on you.